0: you need indeed
1: what's up road of his listeners it's colin kelly here executive producer of road of his radio and one of the co-hosts of the road of his overtime podcast i just wanted to drop by and say thank you as always for listening into to another road of his radio production as a loyal podcast listener, you can save yourself 10% off a RotoViz NFL pass right now at rotoviz.com forward slash podcast or by simply adding the code RVRadio2021 at checkout. That'll get you access to all of the content and tools on the RotoViz website, the best tools and content in the business for the best listeners in the business. As always, we do appreciate you listening to each and every show, and if you do, have 5, 10, 15 seconds to spare. Please drop a rating for today's show on your favorite podcast app. It is much appreciated. With all that said, thank you
2: once again for tuning in. I hope you have a great day. Now let's get back to the show. We're talking Chris Carson and the Running Back Dead Zone on Roto-Viz Radio. Welcome into the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Show. I'm Dave Cabin alongside Curtis Patrick. We're two of the owners here at Rotoviz. We're going to be talking about a lot of things on this episode. One of which is going to be the running back dead zone. But before we get into that, Curtis, let's just start talking right now about Chris Carson, running back for the Seattle Seahawks. I feel like we have not mentioned his name at all practically. This year, re-signed with the team, currently has an ADP in FFPC best ball leagues that puts him at running back nineteen, being selected overall around player thirty-six. That definitely speaks to how early and often running backs are going. But when you think about a player like Chris Carson, you surprised to see him all the way down
3: here at RB nineteen. I mean. That, that's difficult. Um, given his historical performances uh, before uh, 2020, you know, he missed most game of his, games of his career last year, so we could have some, you know, recency bias uh, playing against him in an unfavorable way. But three straight years, he's had five top 12 weeks. Um, and in 2018, 2019, he had double digit top 24 weeks. And, he, you know, he appeared headed for similar production last year with seven top 24 weeks out of his 12 performances. Uh, in terms of PPR per game, he ranked 14th at the position, so he would have, you know, he would have been right in line with where he trended since 2018. Last year, uh, 2018 RB 14, 2019 RB 12, uh, 2020 he came in, you know, year end finish of, of RB 20, uh, but of course missing the games. From uh, fantasy points over expectation last year, uh, per game eighth at the position, um, you know, if efficiency, you know, with his opportunity, expected points per game. I think is um, perhaps where you know there's some warning signs. Uh, tw- just 26 at the position, um, and that could be. I'd be surprised if that's actually what's driving it, driving him down. Um, that's like a layer below the analysis of of most drafters. Um, but but perhaps people are looking at the situation um, and th- those expected points per game um, are in some way you know uh, I guess factoring into their opinion on, on Carson. It's probably more so the injury history um, and the fact that Carson himself plus the team have been talking you know, a lot about Rashad Penny, um, but Penny's ADP is still severely depressed. Um, so it's just, it's kind of weird. Um, I think the Seattle backfield's in a great position. I mean, they're going to run um, some version of the McVay offense in Seattle moving forward, which has been very kind. Uh, to running backs we haven't seen a lot of committee work true committee work when they've had a a stud there you know whether it be Gurley or whether at the end of last year um, when we saw uh, Daryl Henderson get a couple games uh, where he's featured and and of course Cam Akers famously finishing the season off so you know you you like Carson to probably smash his RB19 positional um, ADP if he stays healthy Um, and if he doesn't stay healthy like you know Penny to slot in there um, or maybe even DJ Dallas, whoever it ends up being, uh, winning that number two job. So it's it's a little curious, but it's it's kind of like people just seem a little scared to go in. And I would count myself among that. Um I I don't have much exposure to to Carson at all, but Rashad Penny is actually my <laughs> most owned best ball running running back right now. I actually own him in about 50% of leagues because he's free um right now. And I, I'm not I'm really trying not to I'm really trying not to draft him. I'm really trying not to um but he's just available so late i mean he's basically one of my my final picks every single draft um a, a, am i wrong uh, for not being in on carson i mean should we be should we be reevaluating here i don't think that i am going to be
2: a big chris carson proponent this year so i think that he is perfectly fine at that positional adp i would be fine with somebody going up and maybe taking him around 13 or 14 if they felt it necessary I do think that we should point out for some reason, it feels like Chris Carson at this point is older than he is or has been in the league longer has four seasons under his belt. Also, he's been above four yards a carry every year, a function of playing in Seattle, I believe actually was at 4.8 yards per year, which was the highest of his career. Uh, You know, as we always say, we don't really care that much about yards per carry at RotoViz, but I think that I bring it up here just to point to that if you're looking for significant signs of a decline, that would be one that people would normally point to that wasn't there. So I still think he's in a situation that is going to allow him to be a top 24 running back. So I feel okay with him at that ADP, but I also, for whatever reason, whatever's going on in my mind, I don't see myself going out and actively wanting to try to draft him But a lot of that probably just stems from the portion of the draft where he is available, which we will be talking about in a little bit. I do think that your point about the recency bias is certainly factoring into it. The one thing that might be layering into people's analysis that I would say makes sense is the fact that if you start looking at the list of running backs in that range, Chris Carson isn't the one that I'm looking at where I go, okay, that guy's going to win the league for me. Like we've talked about J.K. Dobbins being a player that we don't really like that much. His ADP has started to slip a little bit. It's now down to running back 17. But I could see how maybe you could make a case or you could feel like the chances that somehow Dobbins has this breakout season are greater than they are with Carson. And I should say I have done my Baltimore projection and Dobbins scores a little bit better than I was expecting him to. So that might be something we talk about at some point.
3: Well, um, one, one quick response here. So first on Carson, um, last year was really curious. It didn't look much like, uh, 2018 or 2019, um, getting into, you know, the usage here. So in 12 games, he matched his previous career high in, uh, targets and receptions, Set a new career high in receiving yards, and he had four receiving touchdowns in twelve games. Like that's a that's a lot for a running back. Um, And you know his his carries per game, uh, his attempts per game, you know, were way down. Um, Just about twelve rushing attempts per game. I realize he left some games early, some things like that. But then even his, um, uh, you know, just his rushing usage, um, just being so much less than it was in in previous years. It was almost like twenty carries a game. I mean, it felt like in those first two years, 18 to 20 carries per game um, very often. So perhaps a bit of a a player, um, I don't know, perhaps he's evolving a little bit, um, either adding a new layer of effectiveness to his game or the team realizing that they should have been using him differently all along. Um, But I do think in this new offense, they're going to pass to the back more. And so I can certainly see myself regretting not being in on Carson in this range, um, this is not a range where I've typically targeted running backs. I really, you know, we'll probably get into this as a function of the title of this show. And I think we'll be doing a lot of best ball content this, this month naturally, uh, cause it's the kind of the most popular format in June, it seems like. And, uh, you know, I, I just think that those, those round one and two backs, um, and then the backs much later tend to, um, Tickle my fancy, if you will, a little bit more than than backs in in the range where Carson is today.
2: Perfectly fair. So another player that I kind of want to consider in this context is Cole Beasley. And I think people forget what Cole Beasley did last year uh, for Buffalo in that offense that, as I talked about last episode, I feel very good is going to be passing a lot. You had a player. That finished 31 in PPR per game, was 31 in expected points per game, now has an ADP of wide receiver 57. I have done the projection for Buffalo. John Brown is out. Emmanuel Sanders is in. I don't have a target share for Beasley quite as high as I did last year. He saw 107 total targets throughout the season. Using a 16-game season, I have him around 98 so not a substantial drop off this year considering what i just said in the context of him going at wide receiver 57 that's too low right like he should be going before then
3: oh yeah yeah i mean this is it's it's actually quite shocking um cole beasley i mean let's uh let's let's update him here and just run him down real quick in the road of his NFL statics war. I, for, for something like this, it's really fun to just pull up the the five-year uh, fantasy summary. Um, and I'm, re, I'm reloading it. It was still stuck with Chris Carson there. Um,
2: for those of you unaware, this is lightning fast Curtis lives okay. out in the middle of, yeah. of nowhere. So his internet uh, is, not, is, is not the <laughs> fastest. <laughs>
3: Yeah, I'm still, um, Dave is actually speaking with a version of myself that's still only 36 years old. Um, (laughs) It's just, it's weird. Like there's a, (laughs) that's that's finally making it through the airwaves. Um, Okay, so yeah, so Beasley's finished in the top 44 uh, of positional uh, fantasy production three years in a row. um, And he's been a top 36 receiver the last two years. 184 PPR in 2019, 207 PPR in 2020. Uh, 15 games um, in each of those seasons. He's played at least 15 games in five straight years. Uh, looking at that um, in the summary, um, you know he. It, it would be shocking if he doesn't obliterate wide receiver 57 ADP. So you know I don't know um, if we should count on you know with the team bringing in Emmanuel Sanders um, a year after they they missed on him in free agency. You know they've been chasing him uh, for a couple of years actually. Um, I think they do have plans for uh, Sanders. And I could see, you know, at age 34, maybe him complicating some things for Beasley out of the slot rather than overtaking, um, Gabriel Davis, uh, on the outside. So we'll have to see that kind of, um, we'll have to see that play out. But then, you know, last episode, we talked about Buffalo's, uh, four wide receiver personnel usage. yep. And, you know, perhaps they're just looking to really solidify that and make that, you know, another wrinkle of their offense and, and up those numbers. So, um, uh, Beasley's kind of a smash. Uh, he's a smash at his current ADP, especially you know when you're Josh Allen stacks, where you know you can't afford to to stack Allen and Diggs, or you know doesn't work at ADP. It's just so so locked in there in the first you know four to five rounds of where you can get players, um, and you know there's a lot more flexibility to to get your quarterback in those middle rounds, and then you know get a a secondary or tertiary uh, pass catching target later on in drafts. Um, rather than, you know, forcing it right. Early.
2: And then, so you have Beasley coming out of the slot, um, a role that I'm okay with players aging in, you know, he's definitely been in the league for a while now, started his rookie year in 2012. One thing that I would be more okay with people saying that they want to fade Beasley as a result of them expecting Gabriel Davis to take a big step forward than the fact that Emmanuel Sanders is arriving. Because as I mentioned, you can't forget that you had John Brown there last year who was getting used. You also had Davis, but it's offset by, as you mentioned, the four wide receiver sets and the amount of time that the team passes. So I felt obligated to bring up Cole Beasley because I feel like he's a player going on the cheap. that I want to make sure our listeners do not forget about.
3: Yeah. And you don't want to over, uh, I'm talking over the drop. I just, just murdered it. Dave, um, but last thing on Beasley, you know, you really don't want to overlook a player like this. You don't want to um, miscast him, I guess, in your in your best ball depth charts, uh, especially. I mean, he had an eleven point three best ball win rate yep. in FFPC last year. Eleven point three. I mean, just re- he had four games over twenty PPR. I mean, this was a this was a difference making player, and I mean, you're getting him essentially free uh, current prices.
2: Yeah. So just to, to piggyback off of that note, you know, the funny thing is how Your intuition would tell you that he doesn't profile as one of these best ball type of players that people float out, right? Because, you know, he's this slot receiver, accrues, you know, maybe 10 points a week. But the thing is, he actually was like last year was a boom and bust player because he had four weeks where he really peaked, went over 20. I think one week had 27 versus the other weeks where he was at 10. I bring that up just to say that oftentimes we, like you said, typecast players into these specific spots and doesn't always line up with what actually happened on the field. All right. Let's talk, though, about the running back dead zone. I want to talk about the players in it and if there's any that we want to make an exception for. So this is something that Sean and Colm talked about. Um, They've talked about a lot on RotoViz Overtime, which obviously, if you're listening to this show, you should be listening to theirs. If you're not, do yourself a favor, go and do it. Um, An incredible, incredible podcast there. But this is a, the running back dead zone. It's really a phenomenon that we've seen now for a while. Um, this was one of the first things that really changed the way I was drafting when I really got back into fantasy and doing a lot of writing. It was so long ago now, I don't even remember. But the thing that we noticed at the time was that generally, once you get outside of the first two rounds in the draft of drafting running backs, the hit rates for those running backs fall off so much until you start to reach round seven or round eight that lots of times it was perfectly okay in the confines of our philosophy to pivot to other positions because very honestly lots of times those picks ended up being wasted or they were picks that did not bring the value back to your team commensurate with the pick that you used on them, Where you were getting the same production from those guys in rounds three through maybe six or seven that you were getting as running backs, you would take at round eight, nine, 10, maybe even 11. Leave it to Sean Siegel, though, to come up with the term, the running back dead zone to encapsulate what is going on in that area. This year, Curtis, the players we see in the running back dead zone are guys like J.K. Dobbins, Miles Sanders, the aforementioned Chris Carson, Travis Etienne. Josh Jacobs, David Montgomery, Mike Davis, Kareem Hunt, Miles Gaskin, Javante Williams, James Robinson, and Chase Edmonds. We'll we'll cap, we'll cap it at six. We'll look at the, those are the guys from rounds three to six at the running back position currently being selected. Are there any players in there that you think we need to maybe make an exception for and say that this player is in the running back dead zone? But I think that there's factors that make them a different type of option in twenty twenty one. Hey everyone,
1: before we get started, I just wanna take a moment to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle is created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&A's with BlueWire's top podcasters, access to the community Discord, an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of all of that we will help get your show pushed to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher and all other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or you have an existing show that you're wanting to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com forward slash join. Check out the description box in this episode for more information, but that's bwhustle.com slash join.
3: Yeah, um, there's there's actually one. There's only one. Um, when I, when I really start thinking about this, um, well, we, we talked a little bit about Chris Carson. He's so I'm not going to fault. I will not fault, um, drafting of, of Chris Carson in round three. I don't really consider him to be an RB dead zone type of player after adding the receiving element to his game last year and knowing how the Seahawks run their offense, um, and his, and his history of success. Um, this isn't like a player that, has been inefficient and is just gonna get ugly volume. Like Chris Carson's a good NFL football player and he's been a good fantasy asset. Um so I you know I think if if things just landed weird and and you ended up with like a a Tyreek Hill, Stephon Diggs start, um and, and then Chris Carson came back to you in round three, um, I I yep. could see doing that. That's like, but that's and by ADP, that's actually possible. Um, But that's like a really specific version of a start. That's really the only one. All the other backs that you mentioned, ETN, Jacobs, Montgomery, Davis Hunt, Gaskin, Javante Williams, James Robinson. I really don't want anything to do with them at their ADPs. I'm hammering wide receivers throughout that range. But the final guy you mentioned, um, one of my one of my I actually think it was my biggest article last year was must draft running backs uh, for 2020. And I talked about, you know, a player that uh, would be a league winner um, in in a couple different sets of circumstances, but that was being drafted already at his floor in this range. And um, I think there's another player that fits that description. He's going around the same area that the player I mentioned last year was at this time. That player ended up rising into the fourth round uh, by the time it was all said and done. Last year was Kareem Hunt. Now he's still there. I don't want anything to do with Kareem Hunt's fifth round ADP. Um, Based off of what we saw in Cleveland at the end of last year, I think, you you know, it it would really be threading the needle for last Mm -hmm. year to play out again uh, in 2021. But Chase Edmonds at running back 27, I think it's, it's kind of incredible um, that he's going this late. I, I I wish he was going even later, but three career games with just 10 carries, three career games with 10 carries. And, I mean, he's basically a league winner when he gets that type of usage. It's, it's insane. Um, and, you know, they bring in James Conner. James Conner is not going to be able to approximate Kenyon Drake's output from last year, either by health or by efficiency. And Drake leaves over 900 rushing yards, 10 rushing touchdowns, and like 250-plus touches on the table. Edmonds already gave us what he gave us last year at that RB26, RB27 output. He's being drafted there again, and we know his role is going to increase. So he's being drafted at his floor from last year, and we know he's going to be used more. And he only had one rushing touchdown on 97 rushing attempts last year. Um, I'll take the under on 11 Kyler Murray rushing touchdowns this year. I'll take the under on 10 James Conner rushing touchdowns this year. So I think I think even just by touchdown regression and touchdown rushing rushing touchdown market share, Chase Edmonds can make up some ground. Uh, I've already made the case for the raw volume increases. Um, I don't know if he'll be my number one must draft uh, running back for twenty twenty one. We'll have to see how that shakes out in the article. Uh, plan on releasing that either this weekend or first of next week. Uh, something that we can talk about a little bit on the show um, here in an upcoming episode. But he he is a player that I really want to be overweight on um, really probably until he gets into the, I I think until as long as he stays below the third round, I just love so many of the receivers in the third round. I can't really see myself chasing him up the board that much further. Um, But once you get into the fifth round a little bit, um, okay, Julio's in the fifth round. Um, I think it's fair ADP for him. Um, but we've talked about what Tennessee looks like. I actually like Cooper Cup better than Robert Woods at the um, at the end of the fifth round slash sixth round uh, versus Woods going in the early fifth. Jamar Chase as a rookie really can't advocate for taking a rookie wide receiver that early as much as I love the prospect. Deontay Johnson's part of a really crowded Pittsburgh uh, situation, and I would argue that drafting Chase Claypool or Juju um, at their depress- relatively depressed ADPs compared to uh, Deontay are better investments and Adam Thielen's a player on the decline, um, in Minnesota. So I I could really be comfortable chasing Edmonds up over top of really most of those players that, that I just mentioned. So I could see going four wide receivers to start with chase Edmonds being my RB one and some really interesting builds. If I drew like a really late, uh, draft pick in a, in a big tournament, um, not even best ball, but just like a big, like FFPC main event. Um, that would be a brainstorm start there. Um, or, you know, kind of going with one elite RB, but then just, you know, gobbling up Edmonds as long as he stays in the sixth round, you're able to sandwich in four wide receivers uh, or three wide receivers in an elite tight end uh, between your RB1 and your RB2. So that's a specific case I'll lay out for Edmonds. There are, there's one other uh, back that I like in the seventh round, but that's outside the criteria for this episode, Dave. So Um, What do you think about Edmonds, and are there any players that you like in the quote-unquote dead zone uh, that I should be considering?
2: Well, the the first thing I'll say is you just made a tremendous case for Chase Edmonds. I think that um, when I first started looking at this board here, there were three players that I felt like I could try to make a case for. Edmonds was one of them. The other was Kareem Hunt. The other was Miles Gaskin. After hearing you talk, I think that you are 100% right that it should be Edmonds. Uh, I don't even need to go any further on that um, other than to say that I feel like people don't realize how good of a season Kenyon Drake had last year in the context of Edmonds going in and taking over that role. So I'm glad that you brought that up. If you're an aspiring fantasy writer or an established fantasy writer, I don't care what I do not want you titling articles this year chasing Edmonds or anything like that uh (laughs) please don't do that um but Kareem Hunt I feel like a decent chance still of or or actually can we can we talk about this a minute because I did recently do the Cleveland Browns projection and I feel like you could have us. I, I feel like the odds are actually pretty decent that Kareem Hunt could finish as an RB two. Not he's not going to finish probably you know, like RB eighteen or lower, but I actually think there's decent chances of Kareem Hunt finishing in like the 18 to 24 range, maybe even you know, like 26, 27, somewhere around that. Um real quick, is that is that a flawed line of thinking? Or like are you at the point where you're like, nah, he doesn't really no, have any chances of finishing as an RB two?
3: No, I think he could. Um, but I would only want to, so this is where we start drawing the line, um, in differences between best ball and redraft strategies. Like, I I mean, in redraft in particular, I mean, Chase Edmonds is really undervalued right now. And I, and I think, um, relatively speaking, cream hunts probably overvalued. I think he could finish as a RB two, but it's going to be really hard to pick your spots. Um, and so for those reasons, I would, I would prefer cream hunt. You know, if he slides into round six or round seven, I'll i I'll potentially end up with some shares. Like I'm not totally fading him, just fading him at ADP and really probably fading him for up to like a full round of ADP. Because I like some of the, the quarterbacks in that range as well, um, you know, starting off in best ball in particular, starting off, you know, with Russ to follow an early DK or Lockett pick or Justin Herbert, you know, uh, who I've been pairing with Mike Williams um, later on, um, you know, also, you know, Dak and uh uh lamar jackson also going all in that range so you know some some key players who do have some of that league winning upside that complicate um making a reach on hunt and in, in, in round five um so yeah that's that's the specific take like i just wish he was outside the top 72 players um kind of where he was at this time last year it would make me a lot more got comfortable. it
2: um Yeah, and this is where you also get into an interesting thing, which is one of the things that we always struggle about when we're thinking about ways to present information to our users. Because when I'm going through and doing a projection, lots of times a player is going to land in a zone where you're saying, all right, like if everything went as you would expect, every player is reasonably healthy, um, you know, There aren't teams that all of a sudden completely fall off the face of the earth or like their quarterback doesn't get hurt like Dak Prescott and change the scenarios for his entire team. In those like normal scenarios, this player might shake out in the top 24, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to draft them in round five. So like even if I were forced to rank them, maybe I have Kareem Hunt over somebody like Michael Carter, but Michael Carter's going around seven, Kareem Hunt's going around five. When I'm drafting, I'm probably going to be taking a wide receiver instead of Kareem Hunt, and then Carter's the guy that's you know sneaks his way onto my team potentially. You know, just trying to come up with a hypothetical there. So I think you make a really good point. And to close, that's why Chase Edmonds is probably the best option out of these running back dead zone guys because he's the one that's going the latest, which is also a huge component of this.
3: The the other cases, I mean, you mentioned Miles Gaskin. Um, I, I I like, man, I like Gaskin, but you know, he he's like a year away from being comfortable with him in Chase Edmonds territory, right? So Chase Edmonds has improved his standing in Arizona three consecutive seasons since he joins uh, joined the team. Miles Gaskins were uh, or Gaskin were looking at basically, you know, a hot streak to end the year. Uh, he opened a little bit surprising, had the injury hot streaked end the year, um, RB ten uh, for a stretch, and you know time will tell if the team will actually trust him or if if, if his stature can withstand um, you know uh, an entire season. Um, we have a, we have one season sample size, and it couldn't last year, um, and so that's where I'm a little I'm a little hesitant, even though the team didn't add a lot, which is the same thing I'm saying about Arizona. who's also going basically a full round earlier. Um, and he's going in a range, um, you know, with Lamar Jackson, with Dak Prescott, with Cooper Cup, um, some of those other players that, that I've mentioned. Um, and then Mike Davis for Atlanta, I think with Julio being jettisoned, um, I, I won't personally own any Mike Davis. Um, I'm a little bit more on the side of um, thinking that the Panthers realized that Curtis Samuel deserved all those short receptions they were giving to Mike Davis. Um, and you saw the team transition away from what they were doing uh, in those first couple games, he filled in for uh, CMC in 2020. Um, I just don't think he can do what he showed us in Carolina over the course of a full season. And then Arthur Smith has already been um, kind of hedging a little bit on how he'll deploy the running backs there. Um, even though Davis is you know a bigger player, um, he's fully acknowledging that there's no Derrick Henry in town and you know, they might have to carve things up a little bit differently. Um, so, you know, that's, you know, he, he's, he's older, you know, he hasn't established himself as a long-term starter on three or four different NFL stops. Now that I can think of off the top of my head, there's just not a lot of reason to be, uh, excited about spending this type of draft capital on him again, round seven. Um, cool. You know, I'd probably be in, um, if he, and it's just a function of the, the dead zone exists, not necessarily because these backs aren't talented. It's just because, you know, over the data sets that we have and, and the the long uh, storied history of wide receivers outperforming uh, running backs in this range because you're getting like team wide receiver ones or high-end wide receiver twos from the most efficient and explosive offenses in the NFL in these areas. And and that's just much more projectable and sustainable week to week, season to season. Um, so you gotta be careful picking your uh, players and and placing your bets on on the guys in this range. And I mean, Dave, if, if I'm counting this up, Sounds like we're kind of sort of okay with Carson. Um, we're, we're aligned on Edmonds. We're kind of sort of okay with with Hunt and best ball only, and then maybe with Gaskin. But even then, you're only talking about a third of the players in this range, and it's probably like team build specific at that point. So, um, yeah, tread carefully. Yep.
2: And, and I will just say that the other thing on Gaskin that I wanted to mention is that we actually saw Salvin Ahmed when he had a chance Operate fairly similarly to Gaskin, so you could see a situation where, like you said, with with his stature, he's not really able to hold it. Ahmed starts getting involved. Maybe they use them in a 60-40 split, something like that, which would hurt his value a little bit. And then Mike Davis, it would be very rare if we see him on yet another stop in the NFL at his age. All of a sudden, you know, able to recapture what he was doing at the beginning of the season for Carolina and carry that across the season that does take us though to the end of this episode leave us a message 978-615-9214 as i have mentioned we definitely want to do some more shows as we lead up to the season that are all listener question based we will see you on friday Thanks for listening to the roto Fantasy Football Show. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at DaveKabenFF and at CPatrickNFL. Email us at Show at gmail.com. Visit rotoviz.com forward slash podcast for more information on listener-only discounts. And until next time, thanks for stopping by.